You're listening to the Second Corinthians Weakness and Strength Sermon Series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bible this morning, Second Corinthians chapter six. I'm going to start this morning a little differently. I want to do somewhat of a survey, and I want you to participate. Now, for some of you this morning, you hear that word and you're already terrified. I saw a video, I think it was a spoof, of a a youth meeting with scores of teenagers. And the guy preaching was preaching, and then he had the typical invitation, you know, bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking around. And then he said to these young people, are there some young men here who are really struggling in sin and, and, and just depravity and, and, and just gross sin? He said, with no one looking around, would those men just raise their hands so I can pray for them? And, and sure enough, seven or eight guys raised their hand. And they said, again, no one looking around. If those men would be so courageous to stand so I can pray for them. And these seven or six guys stood up. And then the guy said, now everyone, open your eyes and look at these guys. Um, we're not going to do that today, okay? Um, I've been involved in invitations like that. I've never given them, but they're horrible, okay? But I do want to see your hands this morning. If you're here today and you have been in church your whole life, I mean, uh, if you're 14 years old, and you've been in church for 14 years, or you're 70 years old, and you've been in church for 70 years and nine months. You know about church, you know all about it, you know the language, you know how it works. Can I see your hands this morning? This is not, church is nothing new to you for years and years and years. All right, good, put your hands down. Now let me ask you this. If you're here this morning, and it's not something that you just grew up with, or you've been in church all the time, it's sort of new for you. I mean, it's been, maybe, maybe this is first year. Maybe a couple years, maybe five years, but you say, nah, don't know all the language, been here for a little bit, this is kind of new to me. Can I see your hands? Oh, good, hold them up for a second. This is very encouraging. All right, praise the Lord. Thank you very much. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? All right, now, all the folks I just asked those questions to, let me ask you this. For those who've been in church all their lives, for those who maybe it's fairly new, how many of you folks have heard the term or the expression unequally yoked Or the whole thing, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And you hear that, and that's not unfamiliar. You know that term. Can I see your hands? Okay. For some who have not even been in church long. Okay, good. Now, let me ask you this. I don't want you to answer out loud. But when I say the term unequally yoked, or I use the whole phrase, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, I want you to think right now of what event or situation comes to mind when I say that. Okay, just think. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, well, let me ask you. How many folks, when I just said that, you say, the first context that I have when I hear that phrase is marriage or dating? Can I see your hands? Okay. The vast majority. How many say, no, it's not for me, it's not dating. For me, when I hear that phrase, it is um, in a business sense or doing work with non-believers. Can I see your hands? Okay, some others. Good. And I would imagine that the rest of you have thoughts about that, either more broad or more narrow than that. 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what I'd like to do this morning is we have lots of thoughts about this phrase, but maybe it would be a good idea to go to the text where we find it and see what the Word of God is talking about this morning. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start at verse number 14 where we find this phrase. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with dark or unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. This is God's word. Is my voice loud this morning? Yes. My wife says yes, but she always says yes. Right? Dan, can you just bring us down? Thank you. We're good, Jim? All right. So there's the text. So before we dive into this this morning... There are several things that you need to know about what we just read, and especially that verse that says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Number one, it comes in a context. Right? We don't just open up our Bible, and there's one page that's completely blank, and these words are on it, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. There's a context, and here's the context. This is a letter written to the church of Corinth, by the Apostle Paul. You know Paul. Paul one day persecuting the way the church, Christ's disciples, met him on the road to Damascus. And the Lord said, Paul, what are you doing? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Paul's converted. The one who persecuted the church now becomes a promoter of the church. He becomes an apostle of Christ. He saw the risen Lord. And so he writes this letter to a church that has a small group of people in the church who are saying Paul's integrity, Paul's message, and Paul's ministry is not authentic. Okay? So keep that in mind. Number two. We've got to realize that we're coming to an end of this section um, that's been an argument or a defense of Paul. It started in chapter 2, verse 14. It ends, I think, around 7, 2, 3, or 4. And this whole time, Paul is arguing in this, these six 
chapters on why it is that his, his um, integrity, his ministry, and his message are legitimate. Okay, so keep that in mind. And the third thing we need to know is that just prior to writing that verse, Paul in verses 11 through 13 tell the church, listen, I've been honest with you. I've been open with you. I've told you the truth. And, and no matter what we're going through right now, I love you. It hasn't changed my love. But your attitude toward me has changed. And you have squeezed me out of your life because of what you've heard, because of suspicions or whatever. And I'm telling you now as a father, open up your heart wide to me again. That's what he says, verses 11 through 13. And so he makes this plea for openness with his heart. And then the whole next section is a plea for purity in the church. And then he closes the section in chapter 7 with, again, a plea of openness to resume. To resume. Now listen to me. I, I tell you all that, and I want to warn you. Don't check out now. Because some of you are like, okay, yeah, remember this, this, and this. And, you're, and you're, you want to check out. Don't check out. We're going somewhere with this, and it's important that you know it, okay? Because what you're going to see is Paul's attitude about the nature of the church and the nature of God's people. And let me just give you, do you want the end result right now? Would you like that? Would that help you? Some of you folks want to know where we're going. Here's where we're going. But I want you, if I tell you, you have to stay with me, though, okay? Here's where we're going. God's church and God's people are to be pure. So heads up, that's where we're headed. And that's the point of this passage. And if we can get this and understand this, I do believe our church and our lives will be more in line with God's purposes for each and every one of us. Okay, so keeping those things in mind now, when I say to you, uh, yoke, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yolk. Eggs. Very good. That's honest, right? Eggs. I love eggs. You love eggs. Hard-boiled eggs. Sunny side. Yolk, right? But I, I think you're aware that that's not what Paul is not saying. Don't be unequally egged with people. Okay, that's, that's not it. It's a little different. Um, and we don't use this, this kind of language as much anymore, but some folks do. A yolk was a, a bar that was placed across the backs of animals in order to, to hook straps to the animals to a, a cart or a wagon that it would pull. So you take a team of horses or a team of oxen, and you would use them in Bible days to plow. But we even have that today. We have men in our church who have carts and wagons that their horses pull. right? And so that's the idea of a, a yoke. It was a bar across the backs of two animals or a team of horses or oxen to pull them, they were pulling the same way with the same force. Okay? And you've seen, I'm sure you've seen pictures of that. Well, the yoke has come to symbolize, if you think about it, servitude or affliction. If you're under someone's yoke, you're made to work, to labor, or bondage. You find that in the Old Testament, using that metaphor. But there's also another way that it's used. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Jesus comes and says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a great promise that is. 
And then he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Christ is using this terminology now as a metaphor to say, yoke up with me, participate with me, identify with me. And so, I believe that's what Paul is doing here with this metaphor. He's referring to any kind of joint participation that significantly forms one's own identity. Right? So I'm, I'm yoked with somebody. I'm participating in such a way that it says something about who I am, what direction I'm going in, that we are allies in this venture. So when he says, don't be unequally yoked, it means don't be hitched up with someone whose yoke doesn't fit you. It's a mismatch. It does not work. A matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they would not yoke together an ox and a donkey because they're pulling in different ways and that animal could be harmed or injured. And so the metaphor is referring to any kind of joint participation that significantly forms one's identity as this is who we are. Paul says, be careful. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, what does he mean by that? And there's, and there's, let me, let me first say what he doesn't mean by that. And this might help you, it helped me. I was reading Scott Happen this week, and he helped me clarify this. What he does not mean by don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers when it comes to your identity and participation is in a broad sense. He's not talking there about our social or civil affairs. And let me give you what I mean by this. When, when Paul says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, he's not talking about civil and social affairs like this. Christian people, some say, should only do business with Christians. Christian people should only eat at Christian restaurants. Christian people should only let their kids play on Christian sports team. Right? That's not what he's talking about. Okay? That's not. Or Christians should only go to Christian schools. That's not the idea here. Right? Now, now think about this. If that were the case, that option is unavailable for most of the world today. This morning, Christians in Iran and North Korea are not saying, hmm, I wonder what Christian restaurant I'm going to go to in the market today. I wonder what Christian soccer team my kids will be playing for. That's not an option. Sometimes in our minds we think the world revolves around this hemisphere. That's not what he's talking about at all. Because the fact is, these civil and social affairs are unavoidable. We live in this world. They are necessary and they are essential to spread the gospel. Paul's not talking about this broad sense. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers that we sort of go into a monastery now and don't make contact with the world. This might help us. Hold your place in 2 Corinthians, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning and listen to the words of Paul. He says in verse number 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle or letter not to company with a fornicator. 
yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. What did Paul just say? Paul said, I wrote you a letter. I said, hey, don't have fellowship with a fornicator. So the church says, okay. And so everybody outside the church that is involved in fornication or covetousness or railing, I can't. And Paul says, wait a minute, you can't do that. You'd have to leave the planet because the world is full of those people. He's talking in the context of the church. And so there is no way that what Paul means here in a broad sense is let's all you know, close it up, go to the monastery, don't talk to anyone other than Christians. He's not saying that. Nor is it in a narrow sense this morning. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that, and I've heard this as a kid. Uh, don't go to that restaurant or that grocery store because they serve alcohol. In, states, res, or in the States, anyways, you can get alcohol anywhere, convenience stores, grocery stores. And the Christian element would say, don't go there because if you go there, you are being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it shows that you're identifying with, you must be a closet alcoholic. You must be, a, I mean, you must have real trouble there. And listen, I'm not joking about that. I've heard those conversations before. That that's what this means, not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Listen to me, that does not affect my identity, all right, at all. It's casual, it's non-defining participation. It doesn't, it doesn't hook me up with those people. I got to go to a grocery store, and I have to go to a restaurant, right? I've got to do these things. That's not what he's talking. I can go to a Cleveland Indians game and not be a Cubs fan. I can do that. Or not even be an Indians fan for that matter, right? I'm not identifying with them. And so what Paul is talking about here now is this idea that it's joint participation that significantly forms one's own identity. That Hey, we're the same here. So here's a question. If that's what he means, don't be unequally yoked, then who are the unbelievers? Because that's the deal. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So who are the unbelievers that Paul's talking about? Well, he could be talking about the world. He could be saying to the Corinthians, listen, there are pagans outside your walls. Don't be unequally yoked with them. Um, they're unbelievers. Maybe there's, some, there's some, some things you're involved in that participate with them that, that identify you with the lost. And, and that is a possibility. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he said there were Christians going off to the temple, the false temple, and they were having meals, and the meals were being sacrificed to false gods. And when they sat there, it made them look like they were participating in false worship. And Paul says, don't do that. And that could be the case. And there are commentators who believe that's what he's talking about. But now listen to me. Let me ask you a question this morning when it comes to figuring out who these unbelievers are. Why would the Apostle Paul, who's been arguing for six chapters about his ministry, his authenticity to the church, why would he change now in one verse and be concerned with the world? I don't think that he is. I think what Paul is talking about here, 
when he talks to the church about don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, I think he's talking to the church. Church. Here's what Paul is not talking about this morning. He's not talking about marriage. In that text, he is not talking about marriage. You say, oh, good. So that means I can be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I did not say that. You don't need that verse to tell you that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells you that. And this is a sidebar. You don't mind if I go a little sidebar here. All right? Young men, young women, God's idea of evangelism is not flirty fishing. That you find a, a man or a woman that you're attracted to, and they're attracted to you, and you're in the church, you're born again, you're saved, you love Jesus, and they catch your eye, and they say, hey, let's go out. <laughs> That's my, I don't know what that is, anyways. Doesn't make any sense, actually. Um, let's go out. You say, well, I can't. Why? What's, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. I'm a believer. I know the Lord. And I have a conviction. I'm not going to date anybody who doesn't know him. Say, no, the Lord. Well, I go to church. Can I come to your church? Sure. Sure. And they come to your church. And then who knows what happens? Maybe they make a profession of faith. Maybe they say because they like you and you're cute or you're handsome. It's like, I'll do this. I'll, I'll say a prayer, whatever it takes. I will do that. Here's the problem. You will not know if they did that for you or for the Savior. And you'll marry an individual who has no desire for Christ, no desire for his word, and you'll have children who have a father or mother who's not interested in salvation. And that's a problem. So, don't just, oh, don't be an equally, no, 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 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It, it's all there for you. So young people, old people, don't be dating folks who are not saved. That's a no-brainer for the Christian. You say, okay, I'm in trouble. I did. I'm married. This guy's lost. This girl's lost. Or I got saved afterwards. So can I just get out of this thing? You wish. You can't. Nor should you. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us the same thing. Paul says, stay with your spouse. They're lost. Maybe your life will be what it takes to win them to Christ. 1 Peter says the same thing. So he's not talking about marriage in that text. Nor is he talking about business. Is it wise for a believer to get into a partnership with someone who's lost? No, it's not wise. A companion of fools should be destroyed, right? How can two walk together except they be agreed? How can you be in a strong partnership with somebody that you choose for yourself who may not have the integrity you have? It doesn't care about following the rules. It doesn't care about what they look like to the world. It's problematic, all right? And those principles apply. But in this context, Paul is speaking to the church. He is calling them away from unholy relationships. There are those within the church that are seeking to divide the church from within. And he has just said, open your heart to me by separating from those who are rebelling against me. Listen, you've got to keep this in context. 
Paul has been fighting a group of people who are saying, we are super apostles, Paul is nothing. They're doubting his ministry, and they're doubting his message. And just before this, do you remember what Paul said in chapter 5? Hey, be reconciled. He's begging and pleading for people to be reconciled back to Christ and back to him. And so he says, listen to me. You want to demonstrate that you're with me and the gospel? Then separate from those in the church who, by their life, indicate they're lost. Now be careful here. We're not talking about some guy who's a pastor and he's got an attitude. He's an elder and and he's a pastor and he's a type A personality and you know how they are and he's hard to get along with and this is Paul and someone was mean to him and so Paul's saying don't talk to them anymore. That's not what's happening here at all. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ and to reject Paul and to reject his message is to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this separation is a means to demonstrate that you accept me and the gospel. And what he's saying is, there's a group of folks in the church who are naming the name of Christ, but they're against the gospel. You have nothing in common with them. Look back at our text. He gives a long list here, in verses 14 through 16, with five questions which, which are obvious. He wants a negative answer. When he writes these things, the church would say, no way or no, we have nothing in common. Look what he says. Verse 14, for what fellowship, right, has unrighteousness with righteousness, light with darkness, harmony with Christ and Belial, which means opposition to God, satanic, the believer and the infidel, a temple um, of God with idols. What he's saying is there is nothing in common. And Paul says to this church in Corinth, listen to me, for the last six chapters, I've defended myself. You've seen my life. You've seen the message. The fact that you're saved validates that God has worked through me. I've been pleading and defending, and now there's still this group of people who are saying, we reject Paul. We reject his message. Their lives are characterized by wickedness, darkness, and unbelief. And Paul says, open your heart to me. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now listen to me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Pastor, are you saying there are people in the church who are lost? Yeah. There are people sitting in good churches who are lost. Well, wait a minute. I once saved, always saved. I mean, if I made a profession at eight years old, once saved, always saved. Let's talk about that, since you brought it up. Or maybe I did. If by once saved, always saved, you mean that a man or woman is convicted of their sin, they repent and turn to Christ, that the Spirit of God now, the same Spirit that raised up Christ, now abides in their heart, and they are sealed unto the day of redemption, and they are kept from the power of God, then once saved, always saved, eternally secure. But... If you mean by once saved, always saved, that some kid, teenager, adult, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, wrote their name on a card, maybe came to church for some time, but there's never any fruit, they leave, I'm done with this, no conviction of sin, no love for the word of God, 
no desire to be around God's people, right? No fruit in their life. It is not once saved, always saved. It was never saved. Never. Well, what if they were sincere? You will never find in the Word of God when he tells us to examine ourselves and check ourselves out, where he says, were you really sincere when you prayed that prayer? Never. Go to 1 John. The whole book is written to tell us these are signs that the Spirit of God lives within you. You long for fellowship with Christ, his people. You love the Word. You love the ministry of the Word. You're chastised. You're rebuked. There's fruit. You're producing something. And so it is very possible, and this is a terrifying thought, that people will sit in this church and hear the gospel over and over and over again and be lost. And when you die, you sitting at Maple City Baptist Church will not help you or any church. You will split hell wide open because you rejected the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ and true forgiveness. And Paul says, listen, the people in the church, we need to separate from them. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's calling those, Paul, Paul is calling those who he knows to be Christians, calls them to be Christian, be Christian. And Paul understands the true nature of the church and of her people. God wants a pure people. The whole section that follows, look at verse number 16. After 16, I guess we'll midway through 16. Let's go there. It says, what agreement has the temple of God and idols? None. Remember, we're the temple of God now. The Spirit of God dwells within us. He then says, well, you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Paul says, listen to me. You need to understand the church, this new covenant community, this group of called out believers. The whole language that he uses there is Ezekiel chapter 36, the new covenant, the spirit of God comes within our hearts. He, he allows us to know the Lord, to love the Lord, to long to please the Lord. He says, you're the temple of God now. And as a church, if I desire intimacy with the God of heaven, he demands separation from those things that are unclean. And the point is that if you know the gospel, we are to live in light of gospel realities. And he, he goes through this, he says, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. And it's interesting, he says, sins of the flesh and spirit. Church of Jesus Christ, we're really good at identifying sins of the flesh. <gasps> Did you see her? Do you see what he did? Well, I was told they were out doing. All right. What about sins of the spirit? What about your lust that no one sees? What about your greed, your pride, your arrogancy? Paul says, listen, 
this new covenant community has been called out. It's pure. It's holy. It's lovely. And the people of this new covenant ought to be the same. Therefore, we cleanse. We obey. This obedience um, in view is not to win God's love. That's not what it is. We obey because he already loves us. That's the idea here, believer. Bunyan used to preach all the time, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And, and one man finally said, John, you've got to quit telling people God loves them because if you do, they'll do what they want to do. And Bunyan said, no. If I tell people that God loves them, they will do what God wants them to do. This is the new covenant community. We obey not to become, but because we are. We long for holiness. We long for righteousness. Why? Because that's who we are now. Not to become those things. We are already sons and daughters of God. You understand this. If you have children with all of our boys, it's like, listen, we do this because we are dresslers. You're not quitting. You're a dressler. You're not whining while you're cleaning. You're a dressler. You're putting stuff back where it belongs. You're a dressler. You're going to be on time, actually early, because you're a dressler. Not three minutes after seven, but seven on the dot. Why? Because that's who you are. If they do something nutty, we say, that's because you're, that's a Manning. Mannings do that. We don't do that. (laughs) No, Mannings are good people. I just use that as an illustration. That's who you are. Paul says, this covenant community, listen, church, open up your heart to me. Separate from those who are denying the gospel. Walk the way we're supposed to walk as believers. And listen, we're not alone on this. We have the spirit within us to purify us and enable us to help us in this endeavor. The whole language is of the new covenant. So what's the takeaway this morning? So, so okay, be not equal with the yoke of unbelievers. So what's the takeaway this morning? What do we, what do, we do with this now? Right? Oh, this is where you, have, you can drink the Kool-Aid, right? Oh, do the elders and pastors have a list of people in the church that we're going to get now and we're going to separate from them? No. But if you have a list, I'd like to see it. If, you, if, you, if you're creating one, I'd like to look at it. No, that's not the takeaway here. We want to understand Scripture in its context. And again, there are principles for all these things. But in the context, I want you to see two things this morning, and that's it. Number one, I want you to see this morning the church for what it is. The church of Jesus Christ is not another institution. It's not a social service. It is the covenant people of God. A family of God united by a common identity, Jesus Christ. And no matter where you've come from or what you've done, or your status in society, or your race, or your economic situation. In Christ, God has given us a family together, the church. We are gathered around a common worship, the holiness of our God. And our way of life is part of that worship. Listen this morning, I want you to know something. When you look at Paul and his, I mean, Paul is bold. Paul is, he's passionate about the church. And he knows that God has a plan for this world. And the plan for this world is not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Certainly not the Democratic Party. 
or the Liberal Party, or even the Conservative Party. I thank God for Brother Rick here. But listen, God's plan for the world is the Church of Jesus Christ. It's a church. And Paul is so adamant about what's happening in this church because he knows the church is to be a pure place, a place where God is worshipped. That's his plan. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not. A place where God is forming a family out of strangers. A new way of life, a new way of living. We point to the Redeemer by being a redeemed people. The church should not be like the world. We shouldn't love like the world. Here's how the world loves. Remember Bruce Jenner? The poster boy for the world? Where is he now? The world doesn't care now. It's old news. They've moved on. That's the world's love. We should not love like the world. We should not be lenient like the world, where anything goes and no one cares and do your own thing and free love and free... That's not the church. The church is to be pure and not to confront lies, deceit, greed, and self-service would be and has been the death of the church. And so understand with Paul's message here, we must see the church for what it is. And number two, we must see our life for what it's supposed to be. Holy. Holy. To love God is to love and long for holiness. And any relationship, commitment, or practice that adversely impacts our identity as members of God's people must be separated from. Are we known as a holy, righteous people? And your own personal identity on this, the way you label and tag yourself, does not help you. Well, I'm a Baptist. I'm an independent Baptist. I'm a Reformed. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a whatever. That does not necessarily label you in the right way. It's not what you say about yourself. It is our behavior. Our behavior. Do our lives demonstrate, privately and publicly, that we belong to the church of Jesus Christ with its subculture of righteousness? Are you and I identified with, are we participating with, the church of Jesus Christ in such a way that as people look to our lives, and I'm talking about our families, the way we as men operate in our homes, as women in our homes, as moms and dads, as workers, do they see that there's something different about us? Do we demonstrate holiness or that we are dominated by the culture around us? Here's a question this morning. Are we holy? Are we holy? Are we separate unto God? And just let you know, um, the pathway to holiness is not willpower. Okay, that was really good. I got to be. I got to be holy. No, that's not it. The pathway to holiness is not willpower. The pathway to holiness is worship. It's worship. I see the God who is, and I long to be near Him and to know Him. And as I see Him face to face, I am changed from glory to glory. It's worship. And we as God's church must see God for who he is. He says to us, come out from among them, and I will be your God. I will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters. You can walk 
I will walk in your midst. I will be with you. The people of God, purchased by Jesus Christ, enter in God's presence, and miracle of miracles, he welcomes us there. We've got to quit living in this low-lying shadowland. And Paul certainly understands, as he speaks to this church, the nature of the church, and the nature of God's people. It's purity. It's purity. If we were to ask your spouse, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, are those people holy? Maybe they wouldn't understand the language. Are they pure? Let's just go with, are they different? Yeah, they're the meanest people on the block. No, no, I didn't mean that. But good to know. Do they look like the church? Do they live like people who have been redeemed by the gospel? Do the gospel realities of faith and love and forgiveness, do they just ooze out of them? Or have they been swallowed up by culture? My friend, this is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a social organization. It's not just another institution. It's a group of called-out believers into a covenant community with the God of heaven who we demonstrate our love for him by the way we live our lives. Not to gain his love, but because his love has been given and shed upon us. So Paul says, Don't be, une- be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Open your heart to me. He's calling them for separation. And the word of God calls us for separation today. Anything in our life that yokes us up with something opposed to God should no longer be part of our lives. And we need to hammer those things out personally in our lives today. Let's have a word of prayer.